welcome back to another episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast, the 90th episode of the podcast. That's right, 90. That's a lot of content. I don't recall if I discussed this last week on the episode, but I have pretty much already gone through the first 86, I want to say, episodes. Well, not 86, but starting at episode 51 or 52, whenever my episodes started up after the last best of specials that I did right around 50. So I want to say it's like episodes 52 through like episode 86, but I have gone through, I have figured out the clips that I want to use due to the length of of the episode that or episodes because the clips are pretty extensive when you have that many episodes so I have decided what I'm going to do is episodes 98 and 99 are going to be both best of episodes the first best of covering I want to say episodes 52 through like 74 or 75 and then the next best of episode which will be my 99th episode will cover episode 75 I believe all the way through up until 97. Assuming there's something in the 97th episode that I consider worthy of a best of. I try and grab at least a segment from just about every episode, but there are some episodes that were maybe a little more serious or a little more educational, and I wanted to try and grab some of what I thought were the funnier bits. So, just a heads up, episodes 98 and 99 of the show, those two weeks, will be best of episodes. Yes, for those of you who are regular, routine, diehard listeners, it will be shit you've heard before. But a lot of it's going to be stuff that you haven't heard in months. And again, just little segments. And hopefully it'll be something that you'll enjoy listening to those clips again. Because as I said, I'm trying to grab some of the shit that I think is the funniest. And then of course, this will all be leading up to the 100th episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast, which will be a very special episode. Well, I hope. I mean, it'll it'll have a special theme. It's probably going to be pretty much the same as every other episode as far as the content and the comedy level goes. So don't get your hopes up too much. One thing I do want to give an update on is regarding Apple Podcasts. So I had mentioned in the last episode that my Labor Day special did not show up in the Apple Podcasts app. When I would go and log into my Apple Podcasts Connect administrative area, it was showing as published and it was showing that it was there, but it wasn't in the app, which sucked because it was a very timely episode that came out on Labor Day. At the time of recording this, I'm actually recording this one really early, much earlier than normal. It is Sunday, 9-11, and I did finally get a response to my two emails that I put into Apple support. I finally got a response this afternoon saying, we're looking into it. Thank you for your patience. I immediately went and checked the Apple Podcast app, and sure enough, bam, there was my podcast. My Labor Day special was showing up, so hopefully the episode that's going to come out tomorrow, or for you listening to this episode, the one from last week, my stereotyping versus racism episode, hopefully that one shows up in a timely fashion. But again, this is a great opportunity for you guys to go follow me on social media. I will remind you of those links here in a little bit and be very aware that I am very timely. And if you do not see an episode in the Apple Podcast app, if that is what you use on a Monday, then unless I have died...
Apple is having glitchy issues, and then I would encourage you to go try and find me on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Audible, Amazon. There's a ton of other places. I believe iHeartRadio, but yeah, I'm all over the place, so you don't have to rely on Apple in the event that they are not showing the podcast in a timely fashion. This is the only time that this has happened in 89 episodes, so hopefully it is fixed moving forward, but just want to give you that heads up that I do believe it's fixed now, but I'm going to find out tomorrow, and unfortunately I will have recorded this podcast at that point, so I can't really give you an update as to if it is now routinely updating as it should like all the other platforms are doing. Another update I thought I would provide is in regard to my weight and Jeff's big titties. Because if you remember from my recent episode, Be Less Fat, I was talking about how I needed to lose some weight because I was getting a little chunky and a little soft. I gained a lot of weight during COVID. Then I started to lose some, but then I started to go back in the wrong direction and I really had to start being a lot more dedicated to working out and to a better diet. And I'm happy to announce that since my Be Less Fat episode, I have lost six pounds and I am being extremely diligent with my weightlifting and it's tightening me up, it's making me have a little bit more bulk and look less fat. My titties are almost essentially gone because they're turning back into muscle, so that's good. Now they're going from titties to pecs, but I haven't really been very diligent with the aerobic exercises, which would allow me to lose weight more quickly and help melt that fat off my body and allow the muscle from the lifting that I'm doing to be a little bit more evident. So I do need to make a better effort in that regard. But for those of you who listened to the episode and thought, I don't know, maybe Jeff's an idiot. Will this work for me? Well, it's working for me so far, and I'm now only about five pounds away from moving out of the obese category based on my BMI into the overweight category, and that will be fine with me. I'm okay being overweight, but I prefer not to be obese. Before getting into today's topic, one thing I want to mention, it was extremely weird yesterday so this would have been Saturday, September 10th. It was a very overcast day, and I was out door dashing pretty much the majority of the day, and the temperature was a little lower. It was just very indicative of the changing of the seasons from summer to fall here in Ohio. And I spent like the entire day in what I can only refer to as like a twilight zone state. And I could not shake it the entire time until it got dark, basically. There was just something about the low lighting of the overcast, the lower temperatures, the smells. It was, I wouldn't call it like deja vu as much as it was almost like I was feeling the entire day that I was living in the past, like a disturbing level of nonstop nostalgia. But it was just such a weird day. Like at times I almost thought I need to go home because I can't be out in this because I just feel weird. It was almost like feeling like you're on drugs or something, and I was sober as one could be, but that just overwhelming feeling that I was not living and existing in the present time just because of these visual and temperature-based stimulants, it was fucking with me. 
Speaking of the Twilight Zone, I want to point out that I recently downloaded, I saw that they have a game for the Oculus called Twilight Zone, and I thought, I love the Twilight Zone, that would be fun as hell, so I downloaded it, and there's like essentially three primary scenarios, like three mini-games that you have to get through. I am so stuck in this first mini-game where I've got to go through this maze while this like digital thing is trying to chase me and kill me, and I've gotten to the point where I've watched online tutorials. Like, how do I get through this fucking room, through this maze? I know it's not the end of the scenario, but I just can't get past this part. I've probably spent a solid 90 minutes trying to get through this one little section. Maybe I just suck at video games as I'm getting older. I don't know. But I'm a little annoyed that they made it that fucking difficult, that that much time is being spent on one little room that once I figure it out, that little section is going to take me probably one minute to get from the beginning to the door that I need to get to on the other side of the room, on the other side of this kind of maze. I mean, it's supposed to be more like a server room, and I'm ducking and diving between little rows and underneath areas that I can crawl under, but it's pissing me off. All right, before we get to spiders and creepy bugs, I want to remind everyone that you can go follow me on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff. I would love to virtually get a chance to interact and virtually meet some of you guys who are routine listeners. I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to hear your ideas for future topics. So please, please, please go do so. Go follow me. Also, I have created a new Twitter account called at her royal ghost because Queen Elizabeth died. I know. Too soon? Yes, probably. I don't give a shit. And this is me basically acting like I am Queen Elizabeth's ghost and just making a bunch of inappropriate comments about, well, pretty much everything related to the royal family, to Queen Elizabeth herself. So if you would like to go see an example of my purely tasteless and inappropriate humor, you can also go find at her royal ghost on Twitter and follow that account. All right, so all of the updates over with and done. Let's get to our topic, spiders and creepy bugs. So the reason for this topic is, you know, it's not uncommon for me where I live. I live kind of on a very outskirts area of central Ohio. Like, my backyard butts up to a cornfield. So, yeah, there's a lot of critters and a little more bugs and things than you might have in a standard suburban area. Yes, I do live in a what you would call suburban neighborhood, but it's surrounded by fields and farmers and woods and creeks on every side. So only suburban by ideology and definition and only suburban when you're speaking about being in the confines of this actual development. So it's not uncommon for me to see, especially like in my garage, like spiders and I mean, good sized spiders, creepy ones, and they build like this web just above the door that goes into my house from my garage. Also, for some reason, Whoever owned the house before me, they had a screen door that was in front of that door on the garage side, maybe so they could open the door to the house and let air in through the garage. I don't know. But I have that thing permanently propped open because it's just a pain in the ass. I don't need a screen door in my garage. Maybe I should just take it off. I've never done that in 10 years of being in the house because it's just always been permanently propped open. But behind that screen, there's more webbing, more signs of spiders catching bugs. And actually, that is where 
where the wall panel for my garage door is, and so I kind of have to push through the screen to hit the button to open my garage door when I'm inside my garage. But I tend to leave these spiders alone. I don't really mess with the webbing. I kind of just leave it up there because I can see all of the other bugs that are caught in this webbing, and I'm like, well, they're actually doing me a favor, and they're keeping all of these other fucking annoying bugs from getting into my house every time I go in and out of my garage. And the spiders aren't messing with me, so why am I going to try and kill them if they're actually doing me a service? But a few weeks ago, I noticed a spider up above the doorway, kind of sitting on the wall just above this webbing that is kind of stretched out above the doorway, and it was pretty big. It was pretty freaky looking. I mean, it was probably at least the size, like if you take its body and its legs, it was at least the size of a quarter, probably bigger. But again, I'm like, you know what? No big deal. It's not going to jump down on me because there's webbing there. So even if it left the wall, it would just land in its web above the door. But over the last couple of weeks, I've started to notice, well, first it was I noticed a second spider behind the screen door right by where the garage door panel is that I have to press to open the garage door. This one was a little smaller than the one that resides over the door, but still pretty close to the size of a quarter. I still kind of left it alone. I'm like, whatever. All right, just two spiders. They're not going to hurt me. One's behind the screen. One's up in the web over the door. Then I noticed a third spider and then a fourth spider and then a fifth spider. And the spiders progressively started, well, I don't think the spiders that I was noticing were bigger than the ones I had previously noticed, but I think the spiders themselves were just getting bigger. So now the one over the door, we're talking like half dollar size, and all of the other ones somewhere between like, you know, a nickel and a quarter size, and it's just, there's so many of them. And one day last week, I was walking into my house, and I kind of heard and felt something fall off the door, and I kind of... Freaked out, shook myself off. Like, I hope a spider wasn't on the door and just landed on me. I didn't see anything, but it was also dimly lit in my house because it was dark out and I only have one light on in the house for Gooby McGoo, my kitty. But then I noticed a few seconds later, she started scurrying after something very quickly into the kitchen, like into this little crack between the refrigerator and the counters and the cupboards. And she was like trying to bite or attack it or whatever. And then she kind of jumped away quickly and I was worried that maybe she had been bit because I don't know what these spiders are like I mean for all I know this could be like a brown recluse and I don't know what effect a spider bite might have on my little kitty and at that point she was kind of freaked out she ran away from where she had been which is unusual for her she is a very good bug killer and when I went to slowly open the door to check and make sure nothing was on the door She actually went down the hallway and kind of hid and crept and watched me do that. So I I think maybe she did get bit or something happened that she didn't like. But now I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I've got to protect my baby girl. These spiders, they got to go. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then leave. So I ran out into the garage, shut the door. I could see the one main spider up above the door. There was another slightly smaller spider above the door, but off to the side. There were two or three more behind the screen on the wall. And I grabbed a broom and I just started attacking them with the bristles of the broom. You know, they're dropping and I'm hoping that I'm killing them. Some of them I'm trying to 
smush between a screen door and a wall. And then I kind of used the broom to sweep out all of the webbing. I unpropped the screen door and saw that there was a bunch of like those little balls of webbing that you assume are like spider eggs that were all behind this one edge of the panel for my garage door opener. So I swept all of that out. I found more of what looked like spider eggs underneath one of the steps going up from my garage into the house. So I swept all of that out. I'm like, okay, at least now they don't have a place to hang out. But that was also like a protector for me because if there was a spider on the wall above the door where they like to hang out, they're not going to jump down on my head as I'm going in or out of the house because there's webbing there that they would land in the webbing. Now I've removed all of that webbing. Son of a bitch. So the next day I go out into the garage to leave the house and sure enough there is a spider on the door. There's another big spider that's now climbed back up above the doorway and there's another spider between the screen door and the sidewall. So clearly I didn't kill them all. Once again I attack them with the broom. I try and kill them all. Essentially it took me about three days to where I'm at the point now where I feel like I have killed all the spiders and I have not seen one in about 48 hours. And yeah, I feel a little bad that I'm killing spiders that I know were trying to be helpful and probably would never have hurt me. But like I said, I gotta protect little Miss Gooby McGill. And to be honest, I'm not, you know, like a fan of spiders. I would never just purposefully let a spider crawl on me, even if I knew it wasn't gonna hurt me, just because, well, that creeps me out. So I'm gonna educate you guys a little bit on the remainder of the podcast about spiders and other insects or just creepy bugs. So let's start with, while we're talking about spiders, let's talk about the five deadliest spiders in the world. And honestly, what I found, they're really not that deadly, even the five most deadly spiders. At number five, we have the six-eyed sand spider. Now, these spiders are mostly found in southern African deserts, and they have what they call a medium-sized body, uh, up to about two inches body size, and their legs can get up to about four inches in length. Now, keep in mind, with a four-inch leg on each side and a two-inch body, I mean, that's up to a ten-inch spider. That's pretty big, and that's what they call medium-sized. What the fuck? Now, because of the location of these spiders, uh, human bites are very rare, and there's actually only been two recorded instances of six-eyed sand spider bites. But of those two instances, one of those people lost an arm due to massive necrosis. Now, if you don't know what necrosis is, that would be essentially the tissue of your skin and shit is so messed up that it basically starts to completely deteriorate, and they had to cut this dude's arm off. The other victim that was recorded, he died of hemorrhaging, and it was what they called similar to the effects of a rattlesnake bite. So that's not good, especially for the fifth most deadliest spider in the world. The fourth most deadliest spider in the world is the brown recluse. Now, based on pictures, I'm going to be honest, the spiders in my garage, they looked like a brown recluse, and it would not be uncommon to find a brown recluse in Ohio, especially in rural areas like the one I live in. But in the United States, the brown recluse is primarily found in the Midwest, the South, and the Southeast. Based on some of my geographical political discussions in last week's episode, that would mean most likely that the brown recluse spider is a conservative Republican. Now, I did find out that the brown recluse likes to hide in dim areas, so that makes me wonder, maybe it wasn't a brown recluse in my garage because it doesn't make sense that they were just hanging out on walls and shit as opposed to finding more tucked away 
spots. But the brown recluse, size-wise, their bodies are typically around about a quarter of an inch. And with their legs in a standard pose, their full size is about one inch. Which would make sense, I mean, if that was what was in my garage, because a quarter is one inch. They are considered to be extremely venomous. However, deaths from a brown recluse have actually only been reported in children younger than seven because they have a more compromised and weaker immune system to fight off the venom. So from what I could tell, no adults have ever been killed from the venom of a brown recluse. So I guess, you know, even if it was a brown recluse over the doorway in my garage, they couldn't have killed me. It would have just hurt. Coming in at number three, we have the brown widow spider. I didn't even know there was such thing as a brown widow. Now, these spiders have very poor vision, and they actually move with extreme difficulty when they're not on their web. Size-wise, the female body gets up to about a half inch, and the legs only up to about two inches, so they're not that big. And the males are approximately only about one-third of the size of a female. And I just described the female length, so the male brown widow spider, not that that big at all. Pretty tiny. A bite from a brown widow spider, despite being the number three most deadliest spider in the world, it's rarely life-threatening, but apparently can be very painful and can cause like muscle spasms and in some instances, spinal or cerebral paralysis. Now, that's typically temporary, but it can leave permanent damage to the central nervous system. So that's not good. At number two, we have the black widow spider. I know, we all know what the black widow is. That's a creepy spider. Based on the research I did, apparently one of their favorite places to hang out is an outhouse. Now, we don't have a whole lot of outhouses in this day and age. Hopefully, pretty much none with the development of indoor plumbing. But back when outhouses were very popular, in the United States between 1950 and 1959, there were 63 deaths reported in that nine-year period from Black Widow bites. And yes, most of those bites took place in an outhouse or like a wood pile outside. Oh my God. I'm gonna die. Kenny, listen to me. Hey, calm down, oh, God, all right? Sorry. You're not gonna die. Will you tell us what the hell's going on? Just tell us what happened. Fucking spider bit me, David. What? Where? Where? Where did it happen? Bit me on my balls. On my fucking balls, on my balls, on my fucking balls! They actually only get up to about a 1.5 inch size, including their leg span, so they're not that big of a spider. I mean, big enough, but I always, for some reason, thought Black Widows were really huge. Maybe it was just growing up, I watched these nature shows and they were all these close-ups, so they looked ginormous. A smaller hunter, but nonetheless a deadly one. A scorpion. It is searching for beetles or other small insects. But sometimes the hunter becomes the hunted. A black widow spider has set her snare of silk underneath a thorn bush. From a venom perspective, their venom is 15 times stronger than a rattlesnake. So for something that small, that's a lot of venom. However, it is very rare, especially in this day and age, to die from a black widow bite. And the majority of deaths that would occur in this day and age would be in children and old people who have compromised immune systems. But there is a widow spider 
Spider Anti-Venom available now on the market. You can find it at your local Walmart. No, that's probably not true. I'm not sure where you would find Widow Spider Anti-Venom. But the fact is, is that science has developed a way to essentially counteract the venomous nature of the Black Widow Spider. So let's get to number one, the Brazilian Wandering Spider. Wandering with an A, not wandering like, hey, I'm a spider. I wonder if that's a tree. I wonder if that's the sun. I wonder if my mother really loved me. No, it's a wandering spider, so it likes to wander. Yeah, I'm a wanderer. These are typically found in Brazil, hence the name, and across Central and South America. Their bodies can get up to two inches in size and their legs up to seven inches. So if you were to stretch that spider out, that is a total of 16 inches in diameter. Yikes! If you listened to last week's episode, Stereotyping versus Racism, you would know that a Brazilian wandering spider and its size can be more than three times bigger than the average black penis. So do with that information what you will. This spider can be deadly to humans, primarily children again. And while there is anti-venom for the Brazilian wandering spider, there have been a handful of deaths that have been noted even after being administered the anti-venom. So that's not good. But yeah, that's a big, big spider. 16 inches. That's over a foot. If you have a ruler in your house, take that ruler out and think about the fact the spider is bigger than my ruler. I don't like that one bit, Jeff. So, really quick, let's talk about the largest spider in history on the planet. That would be the giant huntsman spider. I didn't really find information on the spider's body, but its legs can get up to 12 inches in length. So, imagine ordering a foot-long sub from Subway and that's pretty much the length of one of these spider's legs. Thanks. That's a big spider. And interestingly enough, these spiders do not use webs to catch their prey. They're so freaking big that they actually tend to hide under decaying wood in the areas that they're found, and they hunt their prey like pretty much other animals in the woods. In fact, the giant huntsman spider, when it spots its prey, can move up to three feet in one second to attack its prey. That's fast, and that's scary as hell. But kind of makes sense that, well, I've got eight legs that are each one foot long. I bet I can move pretty fast. Go to hell, Jesse Owens. Obviously, one of the bigger and more popularly known spiders is the tarantula. Hide the deadly black tarantula. We like And they seem scary because they're hairy and they're big and gnarly looking. But I will tell you that it is an absolute myth that tarantulas are harmful to humans. They're not. In fact, they are a very timid species. And this would probably explain why a lot of people have tarantulas as pets. If a tarantula was around a human and felt in danger, yes, there is a chance it could bite the human. But for the most part, from what I could find, a bite from a tarantula, it wouldn't really feel that much different 
different than like a bee sting. It would be painful around the area of the bite, but you're not going to die from it. There's not nearly enough venom to cause an issue. You wouldn't even need anti-venom. Just like the giant huntsman spider, tarantulas do not spin webs, so they don't live in a web. Instead, they like to burrow and they make holes in the ground, and then they'll use their webbing or their silk to kind of protect the opening to their burrow to keep other insects from coming in and harming their young. As I mentioned, a lot of people do have tarantulas as pets, and one of the reasons why we all think tarantulas are such horrifying and gnarly spiders is because they're often used in Hollywood movies to be like a fearful, venomous, aggressive spider, but that's only because tarantulas are actually so easy to use and so easy to work with and so much of a non-danger to humans that they are ideal for the use of producing movies. But as far as having a tarantula as a pet, that is kind of inhumane because they're, they're not like a dog or a cat. They don't recognize you. They don't understand interaction with human beings. As a matter of fact, their instincts tell them to avoid human contact at all times. Like I said, they're very timid. They want to avoid humans if possible. They like to burrow into the ground. So keeping them in an aquarium and taking them out occasionally and letting them walk around you, that's not good for the spider. So if you are a tarantula owner, you, sir or madam, are a bad person. All right, so before we get into a discussion about insects and other creepy bugs, let's go ahead and discuss the difference between spiders and insects. So insects have three body segments, the head, the thorax, and the abdomen. So their abdomen is actually kind of like their butt. That's where all their like reproductive organs and shit like that are. Also, insects have six legs. As we know, spiders or arachnids, they have eight legs and they only have two body segments. So they have a head, which includes the thorax and their abdomen. And I want to point out that arachnids, we think of arachnids as pretty much just spiders, and that's what separates them from insects. But there are other bugs that are part of the arachnid family because they have a head and an abdomen, a body made up of two segments and eight legs. And some of these bugs would include mites, scorpions, and ticks. Yes, ticks, those sons of bitches that burrow that fucking head under your skin and then fill up bulbously with your blood. Then you have to burn them with a match to get them out. Ew. Now, both insects and arachnids are part of the same classification or what's called a phylum. P-H-Y-L-U-M. Probably a Greek word. A phylum, but that's a classification. And the phylum for both insects and arachnids is called arthropoda. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. Sounds right to me. But I will tell you that crabs, lobsters, and shrimp also fall into the same phylum of arthropoda. Shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. Another difference between insects and arachnids is that insects start out as larvae. So like we know that flies are maggots before they become flies. So they're like little wormy creatures and then they turn into these flying annoying bugs that like to land on shit and puke every time they land. <laughs> 
Spiders or arachnids, on the other hand, they do not go through a larval metamorphosis. They just basically are born as little tiny spiders and then just get bigger, which would explain why the spiders in my garage seem to be getting bigger by the day. They were going through puberty and turning into full-fledged adult spiders, those sons of bitches. So let's talk about insects and creepy bugs. And I want to point out that insects, I think I've discussed this on a previous episode, but they make up the largest species on the planet. There are more insects on this planet than any other classification of life form. That's a lot of bugs. So as far as creepy bugs go, there is a bug, an insect called a house centipede. I had a house that was prone to these evil assholes on the walls of the basement, and I often confuse them with the terminology of water bugs or silverfish, but as I did my show prep and looked up water bugs and silverfish, clearly they are not the same thing. What I had was house centipede. So these are big, long brown bugs with probably like 30 to 40 legs, and they run real fast. And they're super creepy. They're not harmful. I mean, they're not going to hurt you. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. But oh my God, it was everything I could to kill every single house centipede that I saw on my basement wall, typically screaming like a little girl. On the flip side of creepy, let's talk about lightning bugs, or as they're known, fireflies. Like, these are probably one of the most commonly non-feared insects out there. Obviously, you know, little kids like to run around and try and catch them. They let them sit on their hand. They'll put them in jars, and you pop some holes in the top to let them breathe, because we assume that this insect is the same as a human. It needs to breathe. And myself, while I'm not a fan of bugs, and I would not want any other bug crawling along my skin voluntarily, I would go catch a lightning bug tomorrow and let it crawl along my skin. It's weird how, for some reason, we just consider lightning bugs to be cute and cuddly and perfectly okay to crawl all over us. Cause I get a thousand hugs from ten thousand lightning bugs as they tried to teach me They are technically part of the beetle family, which there are a ton of beetles out there. In fact, I think beetles make up the majority of the insects around the world or classifications or films. I don't know if I use that right, of beetles. Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. But I think it's extremely weird, I mean, that you have these bugs out there that can produce light. No fire, no electricity, no special gadgets. They are able to produce light on their own. That's weird. But for the most part, when you see a firefly or a lightning bug that is lighting up, that is a female lightning bug. And the reason they are lighting up is because they are using that light to attract a mate. And typically that happens in the twilight hours. That's why you see fields just completely lit up with lightning bugs just after the sun goes down. But at midnight, not so many of them. They're all out there getting fucked because they found a mate. But again, I think it's just so super weird that you have this creature that is capable of producing light chemically in its own body on its own. So I looked into how does that happen? And I'm going to explain it to you, but I'm not going to get too deep because it was way over my head and digging into that would have been boring. 
But from what I could find, the light production in a lightning bug is due to a chemical process called bioluminescence. And they have an enzyme called luciferase. I don't know. Probably butchered that one. And that acts on the luciferin. This sounds very satanic, Jeff. Yeah, I know. Lots of references to lucifer. And then in the presence of magnesium ions, ATP, don't know what that is, and oxygen, they're able to produce light. So this just chemical reaction, bioluminescence, lucifer, magnesium, ATP, oxygen. These sons of bitches can light up. Also, it is considered a finger quotes cold light because it does not produce any infrared or ultraviolet frequencies. I guess that would mean that if you had night vision goggles on and looking out into a field filled with millions of fireflies, you would not see those fireflies lighting up. It wouldn't register on infrared. That's interesting. So not only are they able to produce light, but they're able to do so in a way that doesn't produce heat. So now let's talk about the most annoying bugs out there. Let's start with gnats. I get a lot of gnats for about, I don't know, three to four weeks early in the summer every year. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the area that I live in. And I have tried so many things. You know, they tell you you can put little formulas out in little dishes of, I don't remember, like vinegar, lemon juice, dish soap. I don't remember the combination exactly because I've tried it and it didn't really work. But they like to hang out around my sink or in my trash and there's a lot of them and they're super tiny so they're kind of hard to kill and gnats typically fly in large numbers like I just discussed and they call these large groupings of gnats flying around clouds a cloud of gnats that sucks so now next summer when I have a gnat infestation for a few weeks I'll be like it's cloudy in my house today flies of course are very annoying but we all know they don't really live that long so you know, just tolerate it for a little bit and sure enough, you'll find a dead fly laying in a windowsill or in a corner on your floor after not too long should you not be able to assassinate that fly while it is alive. Mosquitoes, those are some annoying pieces of shit. You think vampires aren't real? Well, they are. Mosquitoes are fucking vampires because they feed on human blood. I am... Dracula. And I was curious when I was doing my show prep, why in the hell do they actually feed on our blood? And apparently they're using the blood for reproduction because it's a source of protein, irons, and amino acids. And actually every time you've ever been bit by a mosquito, very similar to the lightning bugs, it's always the female because they're using your blood to help grow their eggs. The males don't need to bite you. They don't need all of that shit because they're not trying to grow eggs. But that also means that every time you've ever been bitten by a mosquito, you were actually helping to make more mosquitoes. That bitch! I personally am always bitten by mosquitoes, like way worse than anybody else in any given area that I am in, and my mosquito bites turn into these large welts that can itch for days, and then I scratch, and then I've got like a little teeny tiny open wound where it looks like I was bitten by a spider or something, because you can see where I was bitten by the mosquito. And based on the research that I did, I can now confirm that the reason that Jeffy is so yummy to the mosquito population is because of my blood type. Apparently mosquitoes, or those female pieces of shit mosquitoes, they are more drawn and more attracted to people with an O blood type, and I am type O negative.
So apparently, I'm more delicious than you, unless you are also a typo blood type. Capital D for me, delicious. It is absolutely delicious. Finally, before we finish up, let's talk about the largest insects in the world, because it's size, right? That's what freaks us out, and that's what makes it even creepier. If you saw something that was ginormous, like me with the spiders, like what freaked me out was they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. If they were teeny tiny little spiders, I probably wouldn't have killed them even though I saw five or six of them. But they were all getting bigger. They were getting bigger in numbers. I had to do something. But the largest insect in the world is the South American longhorn beetle. Going back to beetles. Beetles, very common in the insect world. Now, compared to some of the spiders I discussed, it's not that big, I guess, but it's about six inches long, and this is quite girthy, because imagine a beetle. Big, long body. It looks like it's about the size of, like, a chipotle burrito. But with legs and antenna, or is it antennae? I don't remember the plural. So that would be a creepy fucking beetle to see. Does this beetle come with sour cream and guacamole? I'm not going to go through an exhausted list of large insects because most of them are from the beetle family and they're smaller than the South American longhorn beetle. But I do want to tell you that some stick insects, you know, the ones that disguise themselves and look like they're a twig or a stick, some have been recorded to be up to 25 inches long. That's over two feet. That's a big fucking bug. Also, there have been moths that have been found to be up to 24 inches with their wingspan. That's a big moth, a two-foot moth. I don't like it when there's, you know, just a normal-sized moth in my house. I know moths aren't going to hurt me, but from what I understand, they like to chew through your clothes and make holes. If I had a two-foot moth in my house, well, my closet would be gone in a couple days. At least I'm guessing. All right, so that's all I have to discuss about spiders and bugs. So I guess just think about the fact that next time you see a spider that looks really freaky, whether it's a hairy tarantula or a quarter-sized brown freaky spider in your garage, chances are it's not going to attack you. And even if it does for some weird reason, very high likelihood you're not going to die. Even if you get bitten by one of these weird, crazy, fucking deadly spiders out there, there's anti-venom. Just go to your local... Uncle Kroger say, excuse me, sir, where is your anti-spider venom? Oh, that would be next to the Neosporin and the Band-Aids. Thank you. Also, next time you're grabbing a firefly out of the air and letting it crawl around your hand, think about why can't I do this with just other bugs in my garden? Why do they bug me more than this lightning bug bugs me? Thank you again, everyone, for continuing to tune in. I will tell you that, statistically speaking, I am seeing that my hometown of Columbus, Ohio, is now starting to rank on a weekly basis around fifth or sixth as far as the listens go. So that means that the podcast is expanding to other areas, other regions. I'm infecting all of you like herpes at prom. Don't forget to go follow my social media at Jeff Becomes Jeff on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you want, for some sadistic, twisted humor, you can also go follow my new account at Her Royal Ghost on Twitter. I don't think that's funny at all. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Jeff. Now why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? 
It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. Good night. to the devil and I prayed and I showed him the mess that I've made and I cried and I cried and I cried a million times over but the devil just laughed in my face I went to the God of fire and said can you turn the heat a little higher cause I've been burned and I've been burned Time's over, but he just covered me with water. So I went to the Lord of the sea. He said, Won't you come wash over me? Cause the roads and the woods have been winding a million times over, but she receded from me. And I
Capital D for me, delicious. It is absolutely delicious.